Hello, this is Peter Woolfolk, producer and host of the Public Relations Review podcast. When I conceived this program, my idea was to provide public relations practitioners with a wide variety of solid, useful information and guidance from public relations professionals across America. And we are doing that. I will continue to cover important topics such as crisis communications and artificial intelligence and other such important topics. But I will also address other issues such as diversity in public relations, marketing to women, public relations trends, various data concerns, and much more. From time to time, I will also invite vendors of public relations products on to help you better understand how these products can improve your efficiency and your effectiveness. You will learn a lot from our podcast, so thank you for listening, and please inform your colleagues about the Public Relations Review podcast and continue listening. Thank you so very much. Welcome. This is the Public Relations Review podcast, a program to discuss the many facets of public relations with seasoned professionals educators, authors, and others. Now, here is your host, Peter Woolfolk. Welcome to the Public Relations Review Podcast to our listeners across the United States and around the world. Question. In today's political environment, how can responsible public relations professionals build trust in government, be they, be they in local, state, or federal? My guest today is Mark Miller, the Public Affairs Director for the great city of Baytown, Texas, located just 25 miles east of Houston. Now, before working in municipal government, he was a Public Affairs Officer for the United States Army. Having served in Wiesbaden, Germany, Mosul, Iraq, Washington, D.C., and El Paso, Texas, he was awarded the Bronze Star Medal in 2010 for his work during Operation Iraqi Freedom as the Senior Public Affairs Officer in Mosul. Mark earned his master's degree in public relations and corporate communications from Georgetown University and a bachelor's degree in mass communication from Illinois State. Now, Mark has an interest in building trust in government from a local perspective. So let me welcome Mark Miller. And Mark, how do you go about building this trust? Well, first of all, Peter, I just want to say thanks for having me on. you're bringing up a great point about building trust in government, uh, specifically here in local government. And I like to say that I, I break down the process of building trust in, in local government amongst our citizens and even outside the city limits in three main areas. And that's speed, transparency, and impartiality. So first of all, speed. No, nobody is going to take us as, as, as relevant or trustworthy if we can't get an answer together for people, whether it's in a crisis situation or whether it's simply questions being posed that are a bit controversial or, or whatever the issue may be. If we're not getting the information out quickly, uh, we, we lose credibility there. Um, impartiality, we, we can't show favoritism to any one group or any particular subset of citizens. We have to think from an impartial lens and say, am I communicating outside the realm of simply what I would want to hear, but our entire citizen base, what do they all want and need to hear? Mm -hmm. And then lastly, transparency, that 
trying to keep secrets or, hey, we're going to play up these two aspects of this operation, and, and one we're just not going to talk about. Maybe people won't notice. And you might get lucky with that once or twice, but as soon as somebody realizes that you're doing that, you, you lose people's trust. And so those, those three aspects right there, speed, impartiality, and transparency, are, are what I consider the three pillars of, of building trust in local government. Well, not only uh, not only in local, but I think that could also apply throughout, uh, whether you're at the federal and state level. Uh, but also, let, let me add, let's dig a little deeper, because speed, I think, uh, you're spot on with that. But also, there, there are other things uh, involved with speed, such as maybe we don't have all the information yet because the event happened too soon and we haven't been able to get the information in. So how do we go about... Um, uh, making certain that uh, you let people know that we don't have the information yet, but you're going to get it. That's a great point. So I, I think you hit it already that there's an aspect of honesty there, that speed is crucial to, to start communicating quickly, but we definitely don't want to just make up details or go with the first thing we've heard that may or may not be accurate. So that level of honesty, first of all, to say, hey, I'm not sure about this yet. So there may be that media query. There may be chatter on social media directly from, from citizens of you know questions being posed that, like you said, Peter, we just don't have the answers to yet. So the first step in that, I think, is honesty, saying you know, we're, we're trying to get that information and we'll let you know as soon as we have it. And that dovetails into, as well, accuracy making sure when we put out information, is it accurate? Um, and it's okay when we make a mistake and that we own up to that mea culpa. We got this wrong. Let's correct it. But the majority of the time, we have to make sure before we simply blast something out on social media or answer a media agency's question that we have to make sure, hey, is this the right information? So you're right. There's a balance between speed, accuracy, and honesty in that equation. And I think there are also other ways that you can choreograph, uh, let's say, a press conference to, to accomplish what you have here, because sometimes there are incidents that involve more than one agency. Uh, for example, I've done work here uh, in Nashville with the uh, Nashville International Airport, and depending upon what the emergency is, it could determine which agency is involved with it because you've got the airports officials there, you've got the uh, transportation department officials there and so forth. So sometimes there's a coordination of how we're going to present our information because of those those differences, if you will. That That's right. And I think... Um so first, you've got differences that sometimes impede communication, but where I'd like to take that to start with is that it, we can't always just assume that uh, that what one organization is able to talk about or not talk about should impede communication when we can get everybody together. And, and one example I'd like to use is um, back in uh, late July of, of this year, one of our uh, petrochemical partners here in Baytown had a, had a chemical fire emergency. And uh, we, we declared a shelter in place, asked everyone to, to get inside out of an abundance of caution before we figured out exactly what was going on, then realized, okay, there's a potential for things to get worse, but currently there's no threat, air quality monitors are fine. And then 
within two hours from when the fire started to the time we held a press conference. It was only two hours later, and we had city officials, emergency operation team folks, and the plant manager of of the petrochemical plant that was that was having an issue all three of us got behind that podium together mm-hmm. and addressed the media and therefore the public together because you're right uh, a government agency can't speak for a private industry what's going on behind their fence line with a fire that industry can't speak to why we chose to issue the shelter in place as requested mm-hmm. so when you have numerous agencies that need to answer burning questions, oh, excuse me, that wasn't that was no intended pun there. But um, when when you've got numerous agencies that know, hey, these questions are going to land in your lane. I always ask the question: Is there a reason we can't all get up there together? Because here we are behind the scenes working together. Back to that transparency theme, is there a reason that citizens and the public shouldn't know we're working together? And they really visually see that when you call a press conference jointly together. Now, in your capacity, when there perhaps might be an emergency, do you also have someone to also check social media just to find out what's being said from someone else's perspective? Because sometimes on occasion there might be people who have misinformation and they decided to put that out there and and somehow or another that needs to be checked as soon as possible. That that's right. So yes, we do to a certain extent. We uh we don't have a robust enough staff here at the city of Baytown. We're a, a population of about just over 80,000 here in Baytown and um so so we don't have a person in an emergency situation dedicated to just sit and watch social media. Mm-hmm. However, uh, we have very engaged citizens and an engaged workforce that if misinformation is being introduced, we generally are notified of that pretty quickly. And I'll give an example from the ITC fire in Deer Park uh, th- that occurred uh, several months ago, almost a year ago now, um, that when that happened, there was a misinformation campaign where an individual actually photoshopped a, a screenshot of one of our tweets from the city to make it look like the situation was much worse, and they were attempting to make it look like the communication was coming from us. So the, the path we followed there was do not reshare the information. <laughs> do not put this, this false misinformation up and say, hey, everyone, this is false, because that really lends credence to those attempting to, to spread misinformation. Mm-hmm. So what we did was reiterate the truth, reiterate everything we knew, and then add on to that any conflicting reports you may have seen are not accurate. And if, if, if you're not seeing the messaging here from us, we didn't put that out. So sort of leaning towards, yeah, if you're seeing other things, those aren't true, uh, but not resharing that misinformation because at, at the end of the day, that's counterproductive. Well, I agree with that, and you can also let folks know if they have some questions or, or have some uncertainty, <clears throat> uncertainties about what they've heard or read <clears throat> pardon me, or seen that they should call you to double-check this to make sure whether it is or is not accurate. Great point. Absolutely correct. Now, do you have any sort of, um, uh, how do you maybe get citizens involved to, uh, if you see something, say something? Do you have any sort of uh, program like that set up? We 
we, you know, that's uh, very familiar messaging that I think a lot of people know. And what we have set up here, you know, as as a city government, um, the easiest way for people to speak out in, an, in a potential emergency situation or if something just doesn't seem right, the, if you see something, say something mentality, most of those calls just come into our 911 operations center. Mm-hmm. And we make sure to keep a great relationship between the 911 dispatch and our police and fire, but our public communications team is part of that equation as well, that when they begin getting overwhelmed with one incident, so, you know, I'll, I'll go back to the example of, of a petrochemical emergency or, or not emergency, but if they get a concentration of calls, hey, I'm seeing a lot of smoke coming from right over here. Well, the 911 dispatch will actually call my office and say, hey, we're getting a lot of calls about this. Um, can we put out some public information about what's going on? Because the the key source of information should not be a 911 dispatcher. Mm-hmm. And so if there's clear curiosity about something, um, we, we've got a great relationship that they're able to ask us over here, hey, can you put out the information? So a lot of these petrochemical plants, sometimes they're flaring to burn off, you know, some excess chemicals. It's actually a safety process. There's nothing dangerous about it, but it can look alarming to citizens. If that gets to the point that it's generating 911 calls, we step in and say, oh, hey, everybody, don't worry. There's nothing to be alarmed about. Here's exactly what's happening. And, you know, don't worry. We're aware of the situation and there's there's nothing to be concerned about, there's no danger. Or, inversely, if there is danger, we let them know. A lot of times in the in the flaring example, we actually know about it a little bit ahead of time, so we're able to uh, diffuse panic before it happens. But yeah, that's the, if you see something, say something mentality goes to our 911 center, and it's important to stay close to them as a communications team here. You know, Ronnie, one of the things that, that you did mention, and, and uh, because it also happens at airports, that's when you know in advance that this is going to happen, this being that, that flaring process down there, that perhaps you put out an announcement ahead of time a day before, look, this is going to happen at such and such a petrochemical plant. Don't be alarmed. It's a test or a normal process. Uh, so, you know, don't concern yourselves with it. Have you done that sort of thing as well? Absolutely. Yeah. There's uh there's an industry messaging uh platform here called the Care website and they also have an app. And so we get notified when industry says, "Hey, we're going to have to do this." Now, it may not be a whole day in advance. Sometimes sometimes the notice is 20, 30 minutes in advance. So it's still a pretty quick process, but we're able to jump on it quickly to help set people at ease. Again, going back to building trust is, are are we able to let people know when to be concerned, but also when not to be concerned? So to answer your question directly, absolutely, we put out messaging like that when we know something might be alarming to folks, but we're able to say, hey, this this is not something to be alarmed about. Everything's completely safe, and this is planned. Yeah, and one of the things about being in that position is that, um, as we've been talking thus far, is that we are responding to something that has happened and trying to keep people up to date and you know providing the information as needed. On occasion, there are times when perhaps we can do, do some things out front. 
uh, you know, and I hate to bring the subject up because, but it's around now, you know, like active shooter training. I mean, uh, there are uh, uh, programs, well, because they're all over the city, uh, corporations are doing them, uh, other protective uh, uh, things that you can do, lock your car when you get out, don't leave it, leave your doors unlocked. Uh, does your city get involved in doing those sort of maybe public service announcements or other forward uh, informational delivery things to prevent things from happening? Um, perhaps we, we do a little bit of prevention, uh, not particularly with active shooters. I, I think that becomes, I'll, I'll get into that in a minute. But um, as far as prevention ahead of time, we do have some communication platforms that allow us to uh, to reach people faster. One of those is called the Swift Reach Program, and uh, some people refer to that as a reverse 911. What that does is allows us, the, the emergency operations team, to go into a map and circle a geographic area, and then everyone who is subscribed to this service then gets an emergency message on their phone. Mm-hmm. So prevention-wise, we encourage people, hey, sign up for this, register for this service so that you are in the know if an emergency happens, whatever that may be. Uh, so absolutely, whether that was, God forbid, if that was an active shooter or any other kind of emergency, it lets us notify a geographic area without blasting out to 80,000 plus citizens, hey, you know, there's an emergency. Well, maybe there's only a couple square mile area that need to know about it. It gives us that ability to communicate with them. But from a prevention standpoint, the important thing is to have people registered for that service. Another note on prevention is uh, we, we talk about preventing emergencies. Here in the coastal region, one of the emergencies you hear about over and over down here is flooding. There was horrible flooding during mm-hmm. Hurricane Harvey, and we had a pretty significant rain event with uh, Tropical Storm Imelda here recently. So an emergency people have unfortunately gotten used to in the Houston-Galveston region is is heavy rain events and, and subsequent flooding. So we do do a lot of prevention messaging on that, letting folks know, here's what you can do to prevent flooding in your area. Number one, you see water running down the roadways, standing water in roads. That's actually the way it's supposed to work. The, the roads here are part of the drainage system. Mm-hmm. So when you see a bunch of water gushing through the road, that's good. Don't try to stop it. And number, number two, in any other place in the country, seeing soccer balls or basketballs in people's yards, not a big deal, mm-hmm. right? Maybe an eyesore. Here, those things get clogged up in the drainage system and stop the drainage from being able to uh, to get out of your neighborhood and out downstream. So we really encourage people, get that debris out of your yard, the toys and everything, put that away so it doesn't get caught up in the drainage system. And lastly, without being too graphic, we tell people you shouldn't flush anything if it didn't come out of your body or if it's not toilet paper. Because <laughs> you flush anything else and that actually gums up the drainage system as well. So uh, you know, th- those are our messaging topics that we stay on to prevent emergencies because while we can't stop the rain, we can try to help people as much as we can to get it to drain off properly mm-hmm. so it's not building up and then coming into their homes. Now, you're a seasoned PR person, and obviously you've had a range of uh, perhaps crisis communications uh, incidents that you had to deal with. Give me an overview, if you will, without maybe going naming any, anything specific. What has been your most difficult issue 
uh, emergency issue uh, or crisis issue that you've had to deal with? Oh, the most difficult. (laughs) Years back, I'd I'd probably have to go back to Baghdad, Iraq on this one and uh, say that we had a soldier who uh, departed from our values uh, that, that we hold as the United States Army and downstream from them in the in the 3rd Infantry Division that uh, really all, all the values that we encompassed were, were kind of departed from here when a soldier decided it would be a good idea to use a Quran for target practice. Oh my goodness. And um, <laughs> he, he did that and it wasn't discovered until days later when uh, one of our Iraqi uh, law enforcement partners found a Quran with a bullet hole in it, and with uh, not only did it have the bullet hole in it, but had some profanity written inside inside the Quran, which uh, obviously is is the core, you know, the the core scripture of uh, of of their religion. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. Um, that that spitting in the face of Islam and uh, the the negative image there um, had to be reacted to very swiftly. And um, and it couldn't you couldn't have this incident plus a cover up. So um, what what that turned into was what I call you go ugly early, put the information out there, let folks know what happened uh, because bad news doesn't get better with time. Mm-hmm. So we let folks know what happened. We uh, we informed everyone of what the command team was doing to make it right. The brigade commander quickly flew in and presented the local sheikh, the, the leader in the area, with a, with a new Quran. I, I believe there was a gift of a horse involved as well. And um, so, so here's the, you know, one of the senior commanders in the area coming in to make it right, uh, and us communicating, we did wrong, and uh, we've, we don't condone this behavior. And that guy was on a flight back to the United States very quickly, mm-hmm. and... Uh, and yeah, from there we just explained what we had done, why it was wrong, and here's what we're going to do to make it right. So while that was a difficult crisis to deal with, um, by by the numbers, it really comes back down to what I originally talked about was was that honest, honesty, transparency, and and speed. Because if we waited too long to talk about that, what, whether it was the case or not, it would have given the impression we were attempting to cover it up. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and I'll tell you what else I heard on that, too, is that because of the level of uh, uh, infraction that that rose to, that you also brought in perhaps one of your very senior officials to uh, help uh, repair that particular damage. And that that also helps, uh, you know, uh, cooling down, if you will, the offended group, because now they see that you're serious about it because you brought in the highest level person around to say that it's going to get fixed and it did get fixed. That's right. I mean, as, as PR professionals, uh, we can stand up behind a podium and, and answer questions or put out press releases, uh, you know, until we're blue in the face. And there's a certain amount of communication that, that can come from us. Uh, there's another level. You're absolutely right. Where we can't take care of the job anymore where you have to tell the boss or the senior boss or, you know, up however high it may go to say, hey, hey, boss, you're going to have to come in and and take this one on because we have to communicate that level of seriousness. On on that note, I would also say I've had to caution some senior leaders from 
from appearing in given cases to make it seem like we're giving more credence to an issue than it deserves. Mm -hmm. So a serious issue like I just brought brought up, yeah, at, that, at that point, the boss needs to go in and be the public face to show we're taking this seriously. Sometimes you don't want the boss in front of a camera because you don't want it to become more serious than it really is. Mm -hmm. So that that's always a judgment call and, and guidance that we have to provide to our leaders as PR professionals. Yeah, and I think that's a very, very important point. I mean, I have run into circumstances where some PR people didn't believe that they needed to bring uh, the top person out there, which in, under some circumstances can be a huge mistake because depending upon the gravity of the situation, they need to hear from the senior official and the fact that that senior official needs to be briefed so they know exactly what has happened and, and perhaps even uh, some, some talking points to keep them from uh, you know, wavering from, from the issue. And I think that's a hugely important point that the senior PR people, anybody having an emergency needs to fully understand. You're right. If if you're not set at putting the boss in front of the camera is one step, but before you do that, absolutely making sure they have the right information and questioning how long has this senior leader been in his or her position? Mm -hmm. are, are they ready to go in front of a camera? Do I need to take 10 more minutes? I got it. They're clamoring out there, but do I need to take 10 minutes with the boss and ask them hard questions behind closed doors and get them into the feel of doing this before we go in front of the cameras? And and that's a judgment call for each PR professional. It's a relationship you have to have with your boss before that before that situation comes up. Well, you know, and it also adds to the uh, the part of uh, the transparency piece, uh, uh, transparency, impartiality to let people see that you see th this incident is serious enough to bring out the, the big hitters, so to speak. That's right. Exactly. <laughs> so, so, Mark, let me say, you know, well, this has been refreshing. I mean, I, I have uh, learned a lot from you and I'm sure our listeners will. But I'm just wondering now, do you have any sort of uh, closing remarks that you would uh, like to leave with us? Well, uh, I'd just like to say to all the PR professionals out there, uh, keep keep doing what you're doing and keep sharing information with each other. Uh, Peter, I appreciate the opportunity to be on your show today, and I hope folks have learned something from our conversation here, but I learn things from people every day, whether it's on the PRSA, uh, you know, website that we post conversations on, conversations in professional gatherings. I think we can all learn so much from each other because we have such a diverse experience in all of our different professions within the PR profession that, uh, that I think we can just learn so much from each other that uh, we need to keep talking with each other to keep learning and improving. I agree with you so very, very much. And uh, my guest today has been Mark Miller. He's the public affairs director for the great city of Baytown, Texas. And I certainly want to thank him for uh, being on our show today. And I also want to thank you, our listeners, for, for listening and to continue to listen to the Public Relations Review podcast. Thank you. And I'll see you at the next version. This podcast is produced by Communication Strategies, an award-winning public relations and public affairs firm headquartered in Nashville, Tennessee. Thank you for joining us.